And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. I bit my lip while I was talking. That was weird. Let me try that again. <laughs> I'll come in laughing. I'll come in hot. <laughs> Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. And with me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy, especially in the month of October because of Halloween and crazy killers and all kinds of nonsense. So, Zach, don't be crazy. Those are some good burgers, Walter. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Veggie patties. Shut, shut the fuck up, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Whew. Yeah. Hi, Justin. Hi, how are you? I'm pretty good, man. I'm excited for spooky season. October is my favorite. Halloween is my favorite holiday. Um, I love to dress up. I'm so excited about my costume that I'm going to do this year. And I will I will dive into that later um, after we, uh, we we talk a little more. But yeah, I'm excited, man. It's uh, This is going to be a fun episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We have a subject matter expert, Mr. Stephen Alva Wood from the Horror Squad podcast. How are you doing today, Stephen? I'm doing great. You know, this is a time of year where I really come alive. So it's uh, super excited. <laughs> Very happy to be back on the show. I really appreciate you guys inviting me and can't wait to talk some horror films because uh, and this is a good one. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, man. You have an open invitation. Even if we're doing uh, Driving Miss Daisy, you are more than welcome to come on to the show. I appreciate it. Or the uh, the awful Exorcist. Oh, that movie's so oh, that movie's God. terrible. What <laughs> a piece terrible. that movie is! Holy shit! <laughs> I, I I I'm so sad I missed that episode so I could defend it because it's one of my absolute favorites. So it's like, oh damn it! Oh, don't Man. be crazy, Steve. <laughs> I remember when we were recording that episode, we talked about everything but the movie because we just hated it so much. We're like, yeah, so what are you doing this weekend? You know, hanging out, playing Nintendo, no big deal. Like, hey, my freaking head. <laughs> William Friedkin head. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh my uh, gosh. Anyway, so I know that we like to talk about what we watch this week, but you like to shake things up and tell us what we should be watching, even if it's movies with people that feed themselves and eat really loud and chew with their mouth open and all kinds ugh. of weird shit. So what do you got going on <laughs> this time, Mr. Steve? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I love to bring in just five recommendations uh, of movies that... I've been watching lately and uh, just like so people can kind of get out of their comfort zone and see horror movies that, uh, you know, kind of the more hardcore horror fans watch uh, the, the things that don't get as much publicity. Um, so the first one I'm going to talk about is uh, one that I reviewed on my podcast and this one's been out for a little while, but it took me by surprise. But warning, this movie is not for everyone because it is really out there it's called the greasy strangler um <laughs> i had uh, one of the actors on the show sky elabar it's about a uh, father and son who uh, just go through life and you know try to live with each other a woman comes into the picture and they're both vying for her attention and meanwhile the father is a uh, killer known as the greasy strangler it's weird it's hilarious it's completely unexpected and i could not recommend it more 
Um, but it is very gross. So I will say that. <laughs> uh, don't eat while you're watching this one, folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't eat anything. While I don't even eat candy when I'm watching a horror movie because I don't want... I don't want to look down and just be like scarred for life and no longer want to eat that candy for the rest of my life. Uh, um, Next one is uh, a movie called caveat. So in this one, a guy is tasked to uh, babysit a girl at a house, but under um, the rule that he has to be chained up to his bed because, and then that limits him of where he can go in the house, which specifically means he can't go into that girl's room. And uh, and he can't leave the house. So he's chained up and he's trying to figure out what is going on in the house. Some weird things start happening and it is quite the trip to figure out what the secrets of this house are, why he's chained up, why the girl uh, you know, can't be um, to, spoken to or visited. And it's it's a really cool film and it's got probably one of the best scares and one of the creepiest scenes I've seen in a while. So I would highly recommend that one. It's called caveat. Um, third one is a, another movie called the boy behind the door. Uh, this one is tough because it's a tough subject subject matter. It's about uh, two boys who get uh, kidnapped and um, one of them is brought into a house. The other one is left in the trunk of a car and uh, the one in the trunk of the car escapes and he goes to run away, but he hears his friend in the house yelling. So he goes back to try to save him. Turns out that the captors are using these boys for very nefarious purposes, if you know what I mean. And uh, the boy decides that he's going to get his friend back uh, by any means necessary. And you get this cool kind of cat and mouse uh, revenge flick, which, uh, you know, usually kids aren't the greatest actors in movies, but these two are very, very good. And, I think it's quite a good movie. Uh, next one is a movie called Superhost. Uh, this one is about two kind of YouTubers or TikTokers uh, that go on a retreat and they rent this house. And it's um, uh, like they review kind of the what the host is like and what the house is like and give their feedback and everything. And the host, this particular house is really batshit crazy. And, <laughs> Uh, the movie is okay, but the uh, person who plays the host had one of the best performances, I think, of 2021 so far. She is so damn good in her role. She's so creepy without, you know, without them really pushing the creep factor. It's just with her looks and her mannerisms and her unexpected uh, movements and sounds. And it's just, yeah, it, it's a super cool film. Uh, the last one is a known film, but uh, it's one that I think people should check out, and that's James Wan's Malignant. It came out in theaters and um, VOD recently, and uh, I'm not going to say much about it because I think the less you know, the better. Personally, I really liked it, but a lot of my friends didn't, and I th- it's one of those really kind of divided films, and uh, yeah, just go without expectations and enjoy the ride, and you might like it. So those are my five recommendations. This awesome. Week. Cool. Yeah. So they sound good. Where are they? Are they like streaming on Shutter or where are they available? Um, so Malignant I, in the US, it's streaming somewhere. I forget. It's HBO. It's HBO yeah, Max. Yeah. HBO Max. Okay. Because we don't have that in Canada. So I just see it in theater. Uh, Greasy Strangler, as far as I know, is only on VOD and Blu-ray. Caveat is on Shutter. Boy Behind the Door is on Shutter. And Superhost is either Netflix or Shutter. I forget which of the two. 
but uh, it's definitely on one of them. Cool. Well, this week we're going to do a Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Not the Dream Warriors. I keep calling it the Dream Warriors, but there is no the. Who knew, right? From 1987, directed by Chuck Russell, who you might know from The Mask, The Scorpion King, and The Blob. Wow. It's quite a resume. I'm impressed. Not going to lie. Uh, it was written by Wes Craven, Bruce Wagner, and Frank Darabont. Surprise for all you Shawshank fans out there. <laughs> yeah. And Walking Dead season one and two, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the cast includes Heather Langenkamp, who uh, reprising her role as Nancy, which is exciting. Robert England, Patricia Arquette, Craig Wasson. You got Ken <laughs> Sagos, Rodney Isma, Jennifer Rubin, Bradley Craig, Ira Hayden, I guess, Penelope Sudro, John Saxon, also returning, and Lawrence Fishburne, a.k.a. Larry Fish. <laughs> Larry Fish. In the music biz, we call him Larry Fish. I don't even know what those acronyms mean, so... <laughs> There's a lot of people in this movie. Surprise. Um, let's see here. The critical reception. Uh, this movie is standing at a whopping 72% on the old Rotten Tomato meter there, which is impressive for an 80s horror movie. I'm not going to lie. 68% from the audience score. So that's, that's not half bad. Uh, let's see here. Reviews. We have Empire Magazine says, arguably the most imaginative of the horror franchise with a fair number of truly Resonant scenes. Get behind that. Uh, let's see here. Um, the Washington Post says, while it's better than its predecessor, it's still not quite up to its inspiration. I don't know about all that. I'm prepared to argue that. I think it's pretty goddamn good. Uh, the budget was $4.5 million. It grossed $44.7 million here in North America. Opening weekend, it did $8.8 million, and that was apparently on March 1st, 1987, Worldwide, you're looking at $44.7 million. Zach, give me some trivia. Wow. This movie came out uh, two months before I was born. I was a little whippa, and now I'm a full-grown man. There you go. <laughs> Uncle um, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> so Jennifer Rubin uh, was told, and she played, uh, what's her name, Taryn. Uh, she was told by some of her fans that her character of Taryn, I guess I could have just keep, kept reading, had caused them to quit drugs. And the actress is very proud of that fact. And that's really sweet. They, uh, you know, they said they got through tough times because of her. And uh, I enjoyed her. I liked Taryn. I didn't like that creepy, uh, orderly, orderly. Who's like, Hey, I got the good stuff and all the meth. And she's like, no, get away from me, creep. I'm only 16. And that was creepy. Yeah, so I, I had, I had prepared a question about, uh, orderlies and just like homes and mental care facilities. But I don't know how many of us could speak to being in one of those. Uh, but it is crazy that there is this, this archetype that exists in movies for orderlies always being fucking creepers. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, uh, in it, he's like, am I, am I, am I going to have to pound some ass or whatever? He comes, <laughs> right. <laughs> comes in with a roll of quarters or like crazy. kill bill. Right. Yeah. Poor Buck. woman is in a in a coma and he's selling, you know, the sexo. That's crazy. Yeah, I agree. I don't like Robert, it. So Ro Robert, real problem with it, Zach. Whoa, don't be slamming your desk. Yeah. 
Robert England admits that he knew Patricia Arquette would go on to be a big star one day. He also explains how all of the guys on the set were head over heels in love with her. Between takes, some of them would even go to England to get his advice on whether or not uh, he thought they had a chance with her and should ask her out. And that is awesome because I think Patricia Arquette is beautiful and I like pretty much every film she's in, um, especially Little Nicky, her best role. So. <laughs> now I get that deep south joke. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the deep south. <laughs> um, the original premise of the film involved Freddy invading the real world and haunting the actors and crew responsible for a Nightmare on Elm Street films. The idea was rejected by the studio, though Wes Craven later used it for a new nightmare. Huh? How about that? In the original script, one of the warriors dreams up a giant Transformer-style robot to fight Freddy. The sequence even made it into the storyboard stage, but budgetary constraints made filming it impossible. And that would have been actually really cool to see right. Freddy fight a Transformer. They're like, we're just going to put you in a wheelchair, kid, and you're going to wear a cloak and you know, shoot some green shit. <laughs> we ran out of money. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling it was that kid. It doesn't yeah, say probably. it's that kid. Probably. Yeah. If I had to guess. If I was a betting man. <laughs> we borrowed the coat from another movie, so we got to return it in a couple hours. So let's raise yeah. up. <laughs> this is the first movie in which the main antagonist is called by the name Freddy Krueger. In the first two films, he is called by Fred Krueger, which I did not know. And that is fascinating. Freddy seems scarier than Fred. Fred just sounds like a more formal guy. So I like it. Okay, well, here's the synopsis. So in 1987, a year after the events of the previous film, teenager Kristen Parker dreams she is being chased by a disfigured man wearing a bladed leather glove. He attacks her in her ba uh, bathroom after she thinks she already woke up, making it look like she slit her wrist in the real world. Believing Kristen to be suicidal, her mother admits her to Weston Hills Psychiatric Hospital, where she is placed under, care, under the care of Dr. Neil Gordon. At the hospital, Kristen fights against the orderlies who try to sedate her because she is afraid of falling asleep. The new intern therapist, Nancy Thompson, calms her down and earns her trust by reciting part of Freddie's nursery rhyme. Nancy is introduced to the rest of Dr. Gordon's patients, Philip, a habitual sleepwalker, Kincaid, a tough kid from the streets who is prone to violence, Jennifer, a hopeful television actress prone to cigarette burns, <laughs> Okay, Will, who uses a wheelchair because of a prior suicide attempt, Taryn, a recovering drug addict, and Joey, the youngest who is too traumatized to speak. One night, Kristen is attacked in her dreams by Freddy, but she unwittingly pulls Nancy into her dream. This allows both of them to escape. Kristen reveals that she has had the ability to pull people into her dreams since she was a little girl. Over the next two nights, Freddy throws Philip off of a roof and kills Jennifer by smashing her head into a television. In their next group session, Nancy reveals to the remaining patients that they are the last of the Elm Street kids, the surviving children of the people who banded together and burned Kruger to death many years ago. Both Nancy and Neil encourage them to try group hypnosis so that they can experience a shared dream and discover their dream powers. <laughs> In the dream, Joey wanders off and is captured by Freddy, leaving him comatose in the real world. Nancy and Neil are relieved of duty. Neil is told by a nun, Sister Mary Helena, that Freddy is the son of a young woman on the hospital staff who was accidentally locked in a room with hundreds of mental patients who raped her continually, and that the only way to stop him is to lay his bones to rest. That is a lot. He and Nancy ask Nancy's father, Officer Donald Thompson, where the bones are hidden, but he is uncooperative. Nancy rushes back to the hospital when she learns that Kristen has been sedated. Neil stays behind to convince Donald to help them. 
Nancy and the others again engage in group hypnosis to reunite with Kristen, but are all separated by Freddy. Taryn and Will are killed by Freddy, while Kristen, Nancy, and Kincaid find one another. The trio rescue Joey, but are unable to defeat Freddy because he has become too powerful due to the souls he's absorbed. Freddy senses that his remains have been found. He takes possession of his own skeleton and kills Donald before incapacitating Neil. Freddy returns to attack the others, but Joey uses his dream power voice, his yelling, to send him away. Donald tells Nancy that he is crossing over, but he is revealed to be Freddy in disguise. He stabs Nancy and prepares to kill Kristen when Nancy rises up and stabs him with his own glove. Neil awakens and pushes Kruger's bones into a hole and douses them with holy water before dropping in the prayer cross, seemingly destroying Freddy. Nancy succumbs to her wounds while Kristen holds on to her, promising to dream her into a beautiful dream as Kincaid and Joey sadly look on. At Nancy's funeral, Neil sees sister Mary Helena again and follows her. He loses sight of her, but finds a tombstone that reveals her to be Amanda Kruger, Freddy's mother. That night, Neil goes to sleep with Kristen's miniature version of Nancy's Elm Street house on the nightstand. He does not notice its lights turn on. It turns that, on without electricity? Yeah. How does it do that? It's a ghost house, I tell you. It's a ghost house. <laughs> <laughs> this movie breaks a lot of rules. I have a real problem. So <laughs> I was like sitting in my own sick as I was watching this movie. And I feel like this one just breaks laws just at a convenience. And it drives me insane. And we'll get into it later, but people walking through walls when they shouldn't, and it just bothers me. And and now we got lights turning on on houses without even any any power. Mm-hmm. I find it offensive. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that out there. Now, when did you first see a Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors? And what was your initial takeaway? We'll start with uh, with our guest, Stephen. Um. I don't remember exactly when I saw this How many movie dates, Stephen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be precise. Yeah. It, it was probably somewhere around October of 1989 <laughs> um, when it first came out on VHS. Uh, my dad made me watch this uh, when I was fairly young. It's like, sit down and watch it. You're going <laughs> to yeah. like it. Because uh, he was a big horror fan, and that was one of his kind of bonding methods was to make me watch horror movies with him. Um I don't recall exactly what my feelings were towards it back then, but I did remember that it was more fun than I thought it would be because I had seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street uh, prior, and that was really scary to me as like a you know seven year old. Sure. Uh, whereas this one kind of made me laugh uh, because of the you know, superpowers that the characters have, and I was just kind of amused and everything. Uh, it's not until college that I rewatched it. And uh, that I remember a little bit more. And that's where I kind of fell in love with it because, you know, it's a horror film and it does have the horror elements that Nightmare on Elm Street is known for. But it's also where Freddy Krueger started becoming the campy character that he eventually was known for later. And I thought it was a nice mix of the two. So I I liked it immediately uh, upon rewatching it in college. That's fair. Zach, what about you? So it was probably around 2003, I think Um, I was at I was in Pullman for my brother in law's college graduation and I um, his whole side of the family was there and he had a brother who was around my age and like we liked horror films, but I'd never seen all the nightmares and he had a box set of them. So I just watched them on like a laptop and I remember just going through them 
Um, and I liked this one kind of. I wasn't blown away by it, but I was just I kind of blazed through all of them so quick that I didn't really remember. And so it pieced together. But I saw it uh, years later and I liked it more. And then I, I was looking on HBO Max a couple months ago and it was the only one that was not available to stream. And I'm like, damn it, because I, I think I remember liking that one a lot. So then finally, when it came to stream and then you and I discussed uh, talking about it, I watched it. And I was like, OK, cool. Yeah, I, I, I like it way more than than I remembered. And um, it's 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 a good one. You should go see it. It's a good movie. You should go see it. Yeah. So about 2003, 2004 is when I is when I saw it. Nice. Perfect. All right. So let's talk about the set pieces and effects for this film. Uh, personally, I think they cranked it up to 11 compared to the first two films. Uh, the Friday Snake, the walls breaking, uh, Philip's puppet scene, which is fucking disgusting. And I drives me nuts. Uh, the spiral staircase with the red lights. That looks really cool. The junkyard and ultimately Joey's prison, uh, just to name a few. But what are some of the standouts for you guys uh, from this film as far as effects and set pieces go? Steven. Uh, the, the ones you mentioned are all great. Uh, I remembered the snake very vividly um, because it's such a really interesting look for Freddy and it's really kind of a ridiculous look, but it kind of works. And the way that, um, you know, she's trying to fight out of it, I thought was really cool. Uh, the puppetry scene, I remember a lot because um, I used to collect these cards called Fright Flicks. And that was one of the scenes that they detailed quite uh, vividly on those cards. And I collected those as a kid. And I've always had an appreciation for that scene. Uh, just seeing him with his arms out and seeing kind of his, uh, you know, veins and tendons hanging was just yeah, absolutely so crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's super gross. Um, of course, there's the television scene, which is so iconic. Mm -hmm. uh, I absolutely love the way that looks. And finally, uh, the Joey's chest, when it's being uh, written into, he writes, oh, uh, come God. and get him, bitch. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way that that was done. And if you watch uh, behind the scenes, it was really interesting the way that they filmed that as well. You know, they had kind of half his half his body cut out and it was like a practical effect. And it's just just very, very cool. So those are the ones that stand out the most for this mill. Sure. And 100 percent like that uh, the whole documentary, like Never Sleep Again, I think is what it was, where it shows like how they did so many of these death scenes and the effects. There's so many questions that you have when you watch the movie, right? We're just like, how did they even do this? It's so weird. And uh, learning the, the Hollywood hocus pocus behind it uh, is still amazing. And you kind of forget about it when you watch the movie, too, because it's just done really, really well. They, they uh, spared no expense as far as like the, <laughs> the death scenes go. What about you, Zach? I mean, yeah, the same kind of thing. The the snake one is, is an obvious because it's just such cool puppetry. And when she stabs it in the eye, it just kind of has that weird face. Yeah. It's like you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, yeah, the TV one is so great. You know, welcome to primetime, bitch. Welcome to football's day. Right. <laughs> welcome, welcome to, to Freddy's day. day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. Um, so like that was just awesome. And, you know, it's funny because like it's kind of spoiler of what we're going to talk about later, but Freddy versus Jason is actually one of my more favorite nightmare and Elm street films. If you want to classify it as that. And in the beginning, I like memorized the intro and they show clips from various nightmare movies. And a lot of them come from dream warriors. Cause he's like, they fought back, you know, and he shows all those scenes. So I remember a lot of these. I'm like, Oh yeah, that was from Freddy versus Jason, which is, you know, obviously from these movies, but uh, the snake one was really good. Yeah, the thing with Joey really creeped me out because I don't like cuts like that. That was just gross and I didn't see him. Um, 
what else do I have written down? Oh, uh, the, the heroin needle fingers were creepy. I don't like needles. I mean, I don't mind getting shots, but I don't like drugs either. So, <laughs> so that was, and the whole little suckers on her arm, that was oh, disgusting. Gross, yeah. I didn't like that at all. And he I says, mean, what a rush when he, injected. yeah, yeah, he's getting all high. I, you know, what was weird though. I was like, she kind of got treated poorly. That was kind of a shitty death. I wanted something cooler for her. She's get stabbed in the arm and you know, she's bad though. Um, yeah, I'm beautiful and, and bad. I'm bad, but the TV kill, I think was the best. I think that one takes the cake and it was crazy that they walk in like Lawrence Fisher goes in and she's just sticking her head in the TV and she's like, not, you know, she's not standing on anything. And I'm like, holy shit. Right. She's not wearing like <laughs> fucking Air Jordans or anything. Like, how did no. she get up there? That was intense. It doesn't make sense. That's no. another that's another problem that I have. <laughs> I mean, I love the movie. It's 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 easily one of my favorite of the the series. But sometimes that there's just questions that need to be asked, and the adults are just too dumb to to deal with the answers. Yeah, parents just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wrote a song about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. No, that's cool, man. I I really dug. Then uh, you mentioned the snake scene, and I think one of the coolest things, and one of my favorite parts about Tremors too, is like when the board, the floorboards are like are coming yeah. up out of the ground. Yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me of that. This is like a like a precursor to Tremors, where uh, things are happening in the environment as the snake is is in the walls and under the ground, uh, and that stuff just freaks me out. Like I love how that looks, uh, especially for you know nineteen eighty whatever the hell this was seven. Those effects are 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 on point, man. I love that. Well, and like when they're in the padded room and all the slashes start happening on the walls too. I, I do enjoy that when Freddy's not there and you're seeing the shit happen. Or the mirror room was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. How he he's he's pulling everybody in, you know, like Kincaid's fighting him off kind of, but he's just too strong and pulls everyone in. So there's there's a lot of fun uh, set pieces and 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 just different ways to imagine these kills or these haunts. Oh yeah, uh, one hundred percent. Even when when they're in the the room and the the as the walls are, are closing in and it gets all there's like a fiery effect you know it's, yeah. it's getting hot it's like melting the, and stuff yeah the windows are shattering uh no it definitely looks cool i mean it kinda, at some point it looks like just a bunch of king-size mattresses are kind of coming at them but <laughs> um at first it looks really cool even when the doorway when the the boiler room door shows up right a very symbolic reference to to freddy and his boiler room and that's the door that they have to enter to go through the spiral staircase down to the prison uh, just looks so fucking cool. I love that. Yeah, and the the puppet thing, like Steve was saying, it's just it's so gross. I I, I don't like watching it. I don't like how his hands are are kind of like leaning or they're backwards. Basically, it's it's just a really weird scene, and I could have done without it. But it makes a cool kill if if you know that's what oh, you're going for. Yeah, I, it's one of the most like unique deaths in this the franchise. It's yeah. So and it's and it's just off putting. Like everything about it's just fucking gross. Yeah. It's so gross. I don't even, I don't like it. <laughs> don't I'm like freaked, it. Uh, I'm freaked out. <laughs> I'm freaked out. Whatever is that? Yeah. Bleh, grosses me. I, when I was a kid, uh, I just remember thinking, fuck, I don't, I don't need no puppets, no marionettes in, in or around my room whatsoever because of that scene. <laughs> I just, uh, not my cup of tea. I'm like, no, thank you very much. And, um, so yeah, pretty gross. So there's a group therapy scene that always kind of rubs me the wrong way. It's when Dr. Sims qualifies their nightmares as being the byproducts of guilt, psychological scars stemming from moral conflicts and overt sexuality. I'm like, okay, 
easy there. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> and, and this sounds like a pretty simple answer and probably even a fair one. But, you know, I find it insulting at the same time. You know, we, the three of us anyway, probably don't have a tremendous amount of understanding when it comes to dreams. But what are your thoughts on Sims comments? And uh, do you put a lot of stock into your dreams? Steven? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think it's a lot of psycho babble from him. You know, it's just uh, like <laughs> trying to sound intelligent just for the sake of it. Uh, I do think that your dreams, at least in my case, uh, reflect my mood. Uh, I tend to have nightmares more often if I'm stressed out or, um, you know, just feeling down. So I do think that my dreams correspond to how I'm feeling in like my regular life, but I don't put a huge, uh, you know, emphasis on, okay, I dreamed this, it must mean something or whatever. It's just uh, usually reflective of the way I feel. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, I don't think it's anything more than that. Yeah. I don't think it's a one size fits all approach. I mean, cause I, I'm with you too, Steve. If I, if I have a stressful day or I, I'm like sick or something weird, or I just watched a, a scary movie right before I went to bed and it was really disturbing then I'm going to have probably a scary dream. Um, so, so I think it's, I think it's kind of a cop out. That's what Sims is saying. It's almost like he read it verbatim from a book. She um, Sims is a, is a lady. Oh, sorry. God, I keep saying Neil, Neil is the is guy. Sims. Yeah. yeah. So she, you know, I feel like she, she just got her deg degree from, you know, like DeVry online and, um, how can anyone tell someone kind of what their dreams mean if they're not in their own heads? Because I think that every dream is so different. And when you're trying to analyze someone or, or put a label on what it means, that's when I think it can be problematic. And it's just, it's all inferences and, and, and guidance towards what, what that person, what Sims wants, wants you to believe like, Oh, Hey, it's overtly sexual. If you, if you dream of dinosaurs, and I'm like, what? You know, shit like that. So, I mean, I I think that she, to, to give her a little credit, I think she was doing what most people want, though, is, is, is we are creatures of, of wanting answers and wanting explanations for things. So I understand why why she was uh, trying to help them in that sense of, of making, you know, making sense of their dreams. But right. Yeah, she's know. solution driven, right? So mm -hmm. if they have a problem, yo, I'll solve it kind of thing. That's, <laughs> that's her cut the beat while the DJ revolves. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, and so I get it, which is why it bothers me so much. Cause like, yeah. without even, without even, she, she's not listening to these kids. She's, yeah, she, she's, she hears what they're saying, but she is immediately just like, oh, no, nope, it's just, 100% psychological scars stemming from moral conflicts, you know, like you just have problems. You are the problem and I'm here to fix you, which I don't like. For me, dreams are more like my brain is a hard drive and it's just sort of restoring data and, and, and cataloging it. And I just happen to be catching glimpses of that while I'm sleeping. Uh, like you, Stephen, if I'm having a bad day, or I'm stressed, then I try to find my happy place before I fall asleep because I, I don't want to my sleep time is the time I want to enjoy. I want to just close my eyes and then bam, wake up and it'd be the next day. And eight hours just happen to just drift by me without me even knowing it. When I wake up a thousand times in the night and I'm hot and sweaty or I have a bad dream or even the idea of when I close my eyes again, I think to myself, don't finish this dream. You know, I can be done with it already. <laughs> um, I hate that feeling. I hate being so scared that if I close my eyes again, I'm going to finish the dream. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but that's that's the worst. I, I fucking hate that feeling. Um, and, and speaking of which, have you ever had a recurring dream or would you care to share your scariest nightmare if you can think about it? 
either one of you? Um, so I, I suffer from sleep paralysis, and that is the, as scary as my dreams can get because it mixes reality with dreams. Um, so for those who don't know, sleep reality is essentially my mind is awake, but my body isn't. So I feel my body feels paralyzed and I don't know what to do. And I see figures in the room because I'm still kind of in the dream world. And it's super terrifying. Uh, the fact that you're the fact that you're paralyzed is scary enough. But the fact that you're also seeing figures in the room or whatever uh, is pretty fucking terrifying. So that's usually uh, the scariest dreams I have is when I do sleep paralysis. But other than that, it's funny. Uh, I got this question. I was on another podcast about uh, dreams. And he asked me, what does a horror fan dream about? <laughs> you know, uh, like, because most people's scary dreams are essentially like horror movies. And I said, that's funny because if I dream about like a zombie apocalypse, I wake up happy because it was fun. But if I, for <laughs> me, a nightmare is like work. You know, I, I'm late to work or something or something really stupid, like a car accident or something, you know, like a real life event that I can't control. And that's usually what my nightmares would be about. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> Or it's like I went to get Kane Hodder's autograph, and he told me no, and he right. choked me. <laughs> he choked me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm I, I agree because I also have my most vivid dreams that I can remember at least are ones that are uh, work dreams. So, like when I was at Target and it'd be Black Friday, you know, the whole Q4 shit. I'd come home and I'd be I'd, after working like a ten or twelve hour shift, and I'm dreaming about the lines going, you know, all the way to the back of the store, and me just freaking out about it. Um, and it wasn't horrible or anything. I, I have dreams about doing loss prevention still sometimes. So those aren't necessarily my nightmares. I just am kind of like, why did I dream that shit? But vividly, I specifically remember a few dreams and it's so weird. And and I mean, it's a dream, so don't judge me. But actually, Freddy Krueger and Chucky uh, were chasing me through this house, this giant house. It wasn't like the Nightmare on Elm Street one that uh, Kristen has, but it was a house. And but I outrun them every time. It's not one of those situations where I can't run or I'm in like quicksand or something. I just I outrun them and I realize that they're just weak. And I've always thought Chucky was weak. Like if he was real, I would just kick the shit out of him because <laughs> he's a tiny little doll. Right, right. So never was scared of Chucky. But Freddie, I was like, OK, well, I can't go to sleep. But for some reason, they were just really weak. I think all I did was outrun him and then they left. It was kind of uneventful, but um, oh, here's the kicker, though. For some reason, I always ended up at a Winchell's Donuts. I don't know if you guys have been to a Winchell's Donuts, but I used to love donuts as a kid when I was a little fatty. I still love donuts, but uh, yeah, I used to go to Winchell's all the time. And for some reason, that yellow sign is just stuck in that dream. It's so weird. I have a donut in, in it for for some goddamn reason. But that house has appeared in several other dreams that I've had that weren't um, kind of like horror related. And then just aside from that, I've had like weird sex dreams with people I know from like school or from work or something. And then it's always just really awkward seeing them the next day. So <laughs> that one's a weird one. When I'm like, hey, I had a dream about like, you. Took you to like, the airport. Yeah. <laughs> what is that from? Weird. <laughs> I just made that up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's weird. I actually I think I told this story, too. I, I had an ex-girlfriend who got really upset with me because she's like, I had a dream that you and, and Caitlin, this girl at Target, were uh because Caitlin and I were working together a bunch for Black Friday. She's like, I had a dream that you guys you guys hooked up and you were cheating on me. I was like, OK. She goes, do I have to worry about anything? And I was like, what? <laughs> you had a dream and you're going to be mad at me because you had a dream? No, I'm not cheating on you. <laughs> it was really weird. So I was like, here, eat a Winchell's donut and, and be cool with it. <laughs> 
So speaking of dreams, Dream Warriors has um, two dream sequences in the first 30 minutes. Only only two. And there are no deaths. Uh, but that's an interesting change of pace from the original. Uh, did that bother you your first watch? I guess you were pretty young, so you probably don't remember. But as you're wa- re-watching it now, do you think, or if you were to introduce it to somebody, do you think that it's enough to keep people engaged? Or do you think that uh, it needs to be a little bit more intense and have a death at the beginning? Um, I actually, no, I think it's totally fine because they do character building in the beginning. And I think it's important to uh, the third act where if you don't feel for these characters, then you won't care about what happens in the third act. And that's something that I kind of wish horror movies did more. You know, a lot of them think that they need to go balls to the walls from the beginning. And that isn't the case. I think they could, you know, use that time to build the characters and make, make us care if they die and make us care if they're, you know, trying to stay alive and stuff. So I think this film did that really well. And uh, yeah, I think it's great. I, I think that that's true because this movie actually has a lot of kids in it, you know, like a lot, a lot of troubled teens in this movie. And each one is, is a little sad when, when they don't make it. And, and in normal horror movies, you kind of root for the killer in a weird way because you're just like, Oh, character's so annoying. <laughs> and I feel bad saying that, but it's like so many Friday the 13th movies, perfect example. I can't remember a single Friday the 13th character's name, right? Like they're just all just throwaways. Whereas when this movie, we know them all, which I think is interesting. Uh, minus the kid that the wizard Tommy, boy, I, Tommy, I, I, Tommy Jarvis. <laughs> I, I forgot that Will's name was Will and not Rick. I called him Rick, but it's Will. But other than that, I know all their names. Um, but I think that that's interesting because uh, I've it's so rare to care about characters in horror films, especially ones like this, like the eighties, you know, slasher movies, as it were. Where there's just just these nameless people that you just get murdered. And you're like, okay, cool. How's this person going to die? Whereas in this one, it it had a different impact. What about you, Zach? Well, and we've seen that paradigm in, in the other nightmare films and in other horror films where, yeah, you don't need to, just like Steve was saying, you don't need to jump right into the killing. Um, Final Destination is, is one of those interesting movies, too, where it's like an ensemble cast, kind of. And you're... Um, you do build some relationships with the people and you're like, ooh, who's going to die next? Because if I have a lot of people in this film, I want to be able to care about who's going to die. And I want to be surprised like, Oh shit, they killed Taryn. Really? I was expecting her to make it towards the end or something. So I think that's always fun. And when it's not predictable, when you're not like, okay, this is going to be the final, final girl and everyone else is going to die. Like when I first saw this, I wasn't expecting Kincaid, Joey and, and uh, Kristen to live. Right. A bulk of them survive, right? Yeah. The messaging, right? They stick together. They got to stick together. They're going to be pretty. And then in the fourth one, they're like, nah, fuck all that noise. So um, it, it is it is very interesting. But I um, I did really enjoy how they switched up a bit. And like I said, we've seen this before, so we didn't need to. We didn't it didn't need to be the exact same thing. We didn't need to see people die. I really love the first one, how Tina is. You're like, OK, she has a scary dream, but you feel like she's going to be a main character. And then, right. nope, you know, we we're going to go ahead and gruesomely kill her bit of a red herring yeah like you're totally like oh yeah she's the main star communism is a red herring (laughs) right and you know the remake did uh did that really well too uh we knew that tina wasn't gonna make it because just history but it would have been interesting if if it flipped it on its head and and tina was the star of the movie but she gets killed like 40 minutes into that movie or something long it's a long time yeah you're just like shit are they are they changing it that much that's crazy (laughs) right wasn't opposed, but I mean, all the people in that movie were were terrible. I wasn't I wasn't interested, especially since, you know, in the original, it's only 
the four kids, right? It's just mm-hmm. it's just Tina, Nancy, Rod, and um, and uh, Johnny, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Glenn. Glenn. That's yeah. right. <laughs> he, he listens to his uh, his radio with his headphones on. Yeah, so. he likes to party. And he has a waterbed seat. Yeah. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have a waterbed. He doesn't. Yeah. He's got a regular. Yeah. Joey has a waterbed in four. That's true, because he likes to party. <laughs> and he gets magically pulled into the bed. By a sexy lady. <laughs> Which is another thing that's going to bother me here in a second. So let's <laughs> let's go back to, to the puppet scene. We all love how beautiful this movie is. And, and this particular death just drives me fucking crazy town banana pants. Aside, aside from just the grossness of the tendons and him being a puppet on a string. Um, how does Philip pass through the doors while the nurse is distracted? He literally just goes through a wall. And, you know, I love this franchise, but I do get irritated when shit like that happens. And and there aren't rules like I, I feel like a movie, even when it's a supernatural movie, if it's grounded in some way to to there being scream Randy rules, then then I can appreciate it a little bit more. But this movie just kind of throws the laws of physics just kind of out the window. And and for also, you, now you mentioned it, how Joey is just all of a sudden inside the waterbed. That's just not possible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> or, or even Jennifer. Ju- let's just pretend for a second that she can jump up and and touch the TV screen with her head. She couldn't get that far into it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. And you know, like, how did how did Philip get up to the roof so quick? Was there like a, a rooftop hatch he could just go up real quick? And like, if he sleepwalks and it's a known condition, why wouldn't there be a precaution? Why wouldn't they get a bell for him or something like that? You know, yeah, freaking bell on this kid. <laughs> yeah, right. Lock him, lock him down. Put some straps. Get him ready for and, the Betty buy. Yeah. And with, with when when Jennifer gets killed, I think it's her name, Jennifer, by the TV. Why didn't they clean it up? They just have like a big old black mark on the thing. And why <laughs> why are they letting the kids hang out in the TV room? Be like, oh hey, your friend was gru- or you know grizzly murdered here, so we're just gonna let you uh, hang out here for a while. So I mean, there's a lot, man. I mean, why did why did her dad? He's a cop and he's at a bar and then I think uh, he's a security guard at this point. Oh, OK, he, well, he is he has uh, drunk himself out of a job. He is no longer fit to be a, a police officer. Well, like Pretty that's sure what, he's a security guard. Well, like that's what I mean. Neil's like, take me to where it is. He's like, but you've just been drinking a shit ton. So I'm totally fine with you getting behind the wheel. And <laughs> it just it, like a, a lot of dumb shit. It drives me crazy about these films. Um, and yeah, I don't know, man. It's It's weird. I just I I don't know I don't even know why it bothers me as much as it does. I just think that it would it would sort of help the 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 lore and the mythos if there was just some sort of weird like actual rules that the movie had to abide by. Like if they had a show bible that said that we can do this as long as it meets this criteria. If you're just going to have people pass through walls magically, it doesn't it doesn't work. Well, and the thing with, you know, like how Freddy keeps coming back, it's it's just like, Jesus Christ. OK, yeah, Freddy's dead this time. No, he's he's coming back alive. Like Freddy's dead this time. No, he's coming back alive. Oh, we just needed to throw holy water on his bones. <laughs> like, how do you even battle him? So it's cool that the Dream Warriors can fight back in this film. But you're kind of like, it's pointless. This seems like, you know, futile because nothing's going to happen. Right. All right, Steven, you've been quiet. So I don't know if you're like <laughs> if you're putting cigarettes on your wrist right now, you're so angry right now. <laughs> what, like, do you, what are you guys? <laughs> what are your thoughts on as as our as our subject matter expert when it comes to horror? What is, what is your take on this? Does it bother so, you or are you cool with it? Uh, it depends on the uh, the movie and the franchise. So in this particular franchise, I accept it because Freddy and reality seem to 
collide where there's some kind of like middle. There's some kind of, you know, uh, zone between the dream world and the real world. And that's why when Freddy attacks his victims and going back to the first one, uh, what he does affects the person in real life, even though technically Freddy is never actually in the real world, right? He, she, he's only brought in right at the end. So the reason he can people can pass through walls and do all these crazy things is because it kind of happens in, in between. You know, it's that's the way I always justified the things in the movie. Um, and for me, it works for this particular franchise just because they're dealing with the dream world. And it's almost like in the even in the first one, I forget the guy's name, the one who gets hung in prison. Rod. Yeah. Rod, so that, Rod. That's a good, I can't wait. I'm glad you brought him up because I've been sitting on his name. I wanna bring up his, <laughs> I've been sitting on this because I want to bring up his death. Go for it. Right. So the noose like essentially like flies over it on his neck and then it hangs him. Right. And that's because it's like Freddie has somewhat of a hold on reality, which is why he can hurt these people. But he's also not in the room, so it does defy the laws of physics. But I yeah. think in this world, physics works differently because it's like this kind of limbo between the two. And that's so if it, if they did this in another franchise like Halloween, I'd have an issue with it. <laughs> but in a Nightmare on Elm Street, I can kind of accept it. And when do they wake up? Like, I mean, because Rod's awake when that thing's going around his neck, and you're like, what the fuck? He's awake. So that should be right. the end of the dream, right? Right. But it's still happening. So that's, yeah. that's one thing that fucking bothers me. It's like, <laughs> exactly. it's like, wait a minute now. If he was getting hung in the dream, and now he's awake, well, he didn't die yet. So, <laughs> exactly. boom, he should be laying in his little cot and being all happy-go-lucky. Yeah. But by the, he, by the laws awake? of the movie. Is I, he awake? Screaming yeah. bloody murder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but we, we've seen that where people think they're screaming bloody murder, but aren't actually. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I, feel, I feel like I feel like it was a matter of he was screaming. The cop was like, "Oh, I don't know where the keys are. Let me find the keys. Let me <laughs> no. get the keys." Blah blah blah. And then my only job. <laughs> yeah, here's an idea: just have one fucking have have that key on a single ring. That way, you just is one key, one ring. Can't mess it up. Easy peasy. Got to be a fucking janitor with thirty goddamn oh, keys, man. Yeah. But yeah, so I was always so with Rod. Here's the thing: so a lot of times. Uh, I feel like that when they're in their dream, they're doing these things to themselves in some weird way. So I wouldn't have been surprised if if it was him that was hanging himself like in a sleepwalking way. And that is how he was able to get up there and the, and the rope pull him that way. Because I wasn't able to explain the physics behind a, a, a dream world entity, you know, this this specter doing this damage to him. I, it, the, it doesn't work. I mean, even if the kid weighs 180 pounds, you know, he would have to find a way to, to hang himself. And only we could do that. I can't imagine the, how this would work any other way. And with the, when the mom is in bed and she's getting back to the first one, she's she's uh, he's on top of her. Right. And he's he's on fire. He's strangling her. And then the, the dad puts the sheet over them. And then all of a sudden she's just bones in the bed. And then she fucking just falls <laughs> yeah. into nothingness. Like the, the mattress absorbs her and. How are you going to explain that? It doesn't it doesn't work. I'm just like, I get that it's a movie, but I just wish that her corpse remained on the bed and and she was just burned to death on the mattress as opposed to her disappearing. I think that that's what weakens it. If 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 you die in the dream and then you die in reality, I think that your body should still exist. I never understood why her body disappeared. I didn't like that. Same with Tina, how she was able to 
I, as I was rewatching it this time, I thought maybe she was able, maybe she was the first one to pull him out of the dream. And he, you know, you know, Rod's like saying someone was there. I didn't get a good look at him, but she's just getting cut. And, and it looks like it's invisible, right? We just see her being picked up and carried. But what if that was part of the whole story of how he got pulled into reality? Like, how was he able to lift her up? And and she's screaming. She's you would think she's awake, but she's not. She still is getting cut. But at the same time, she's crawling and saying, "Rod, help me, help me." So she has to be awake, right? I don't get it. I don't get how they can be awake and still be getting killed. It's fucking driving me crazy. <laughs> I fucking hate it. I like this. This movie needs rules, and I hate it. I'm getting like I'm getting hot right now. My body temperature is rising <laughs> because I hate how irritated I am by trying. I sound like a crazy person trying to explain these deaths. And it doesn't make sense. You're right, Zach. The second they wake up, it should be over. They should be safe. But I mean, and the weird thing about it too, and kind of like, again, what I think, Steve, I don't want to speak for you, but this movie is about absurdity. It's about, you know, Freddy Krueger doing the most absurd and ridiculous things in your dreams, taking you to worlds you never know. There's so much ambiguity in these films where a person looks like they maybe yawn real quick and all of a sudden they're asleep. You're like, holy shit, you fell asleep really fast. And so I think the blurred lines that they cause for the viewer is, is the whole point of the film because like in the first one, when the mom gets killed and, and the bones get lowered into like an elevator thing in the bed, which is crazy. Uh, the next scene, you know, is Nancy and it's, she's like, Oh, sunny day, whatever. Right. The mom's awake. And then that whole scene's a dream or, you know, it's, it's one of those endings like, or is it sort of thing? Right. Um, so I, I think that kind of fits just the, the mold of the film, but but it does it does bug me when there aren't rules. Um, just because I'm like, well, then these kids won't win. What's the point of making Dream Warriors if all they can do is punch and do backflips and shoot green lightning out of their hands? Like, <laughs> right. fuck off. Yeah, so. Prince of Elves, my dick, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. It, it drives me nuts. I'm just so irritated by the inconsistency. I think that's a good word. The inconsistency of the reality versus the dream world. I think that's what bothers me. I get it. If you're going to get killed in a dream, then you die in real life and you and you wait like like four. Four is another good one, right? Where where the girl with the asthma, right? She her face gets sucked up and he takes all the air out of her. Right. But when it cuts back to reality, she just has an asthma attack and dies. She doesn't look all gross and ridiculous, like with her eyes sucked into her face. Yeah. uh, And her hands all deflated and her arms all deflated. But when when fucking Glenn dies, he's got this this ridiculous swimming pool of blood in this whole room, <laughs> right? I don't I don't get why some people look like they just passed away in their sleep, and other people have their face in a TV or they're sucked into a waterbed, uh, things like that. I think that the inconsistency is what takes away for me. It's yeah. fun to watch these people die, and it's all in this creative way. I just wish that there was some sort of rule book. That made it to where it was the same across the board as far as what the what what but what the body looked like when it was discovered. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can mm-hmm. you elaborate, Steve? Yeah, it's it's tough to say. You know, that, that and that's the problem. It's and that's the problem when you have a franchise with so many directors and writers and different interpretations of what the rules are, that they just essentially throw the rules out the window. Um, now Craven has a lot to do with that because he did at least write or supervise, uh, the first, you know, few films at least. Um, but it just, to, like I said, it never bothered me because this one dealt with the dream world. So I could kind of overlook any issues because the dream world 
is kind of a real world, right? They establish it as being something that's actually there. So, and he, he also, they isn't Freddy versus Jason that he says that he gets more powerful the more he kills? So maybe the level of damage uh, increases as he's killing more throughout the series. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things. So you either go along for the ride or you don't. Right. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, absolutely. I will. I will stop being upset by it. <laughs> As someone that loves this franchise, it's just always bothered me. I'm like, what the fuck? That doesn't make no sense. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're right. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, and I hate the idea of of trying to, you know, I get that it's a movie, right? I just think that they had a real opportunity to establish this sort of uh, ground rules and, and mythos to where you could combat this evil. And they decided to throw that out the window, as you say. But whatever. It is what it is. I need I need a minute. I'm still worked up. <laughs> we'll take a sip so, of water there. <laughs> I'm out. I, I picked up my hydro flask and I just hear ice shaking. And I'm mad about that. <laughs> I want to drink so fucking bad and I'm, I'm out. Oof. Oh, I'm literally out of juice. Anyway, so Neil, our buddy, he says Philip quit. So after 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 Philip dies, you know, he it appears that he is has taken his own life. The Freddy cut the strings, and after the strings were cut, if you watch closely, then you will see <laughs> Philip jump. Work on the timing there, but either way, it's, it, it is perceived that he has killed himself. And Neil says, Philip quit. He gave up. Philip killed himself. That's a cowardly thing, an empty thing. He let himself down. He let us all down. What are your thoughts on suicide, if you care to share? Uh, do you agree with Neil's comments? Have you ever been personally impacted by someone, a friend or a family member that took their own life? No pressure if you don't want, if you don't feel comfortable sharing. Uh, I'm just curious. I know that a lot of times uh, words like selfish come to mind when, when you when you talk about suicide, but I would really love to hear you guys' thoughts. Steven. Uh, this is definitely a complicated uh, subject, and I personally don't think that people who commit suicide are selfish uh, because, I mean, these people are at the absolute lowest point in their lives and they feel as though the only option for them is to stop living. Like there are no other options. There's no way to get better. And I think in the, the minds of people who commit suicides, it's like their feelings are, if I keep living, people are going to get hurt. They don't see it as if I kill myself, I'm going to hurt these people because, you know, they're going to have to kind of live with the impact of my, of my death. It's they think the other way around where, I'm a nuisance to them or I'm a bad influence or whatever the case may be. And they, their only option in their minds is to take their own life. And I think that's super tragic. And I, I really hated that Neil said that it's a kind of essentially a cowardly move and selfish. Uh, I really don't believe that now, personally, I haven't been like affected by suicide by anyone close to me, but when I see people taking their lives, and if a good example of that is Robin Williams, uh, it broke my heart, man. Yeah. You know, it's just like, I still think about it. And I still have a hard time watching his films or listening to his uh, <clears throat> stand-up because it just like plays in my mind. Like, why didn't he get help or why, why, why? And we'll never get the answer. It's just, it's tough. It must be really tough on his family. It's tough on his fans, tough on his friends. It's it's a tough go. So 
Yeah, that's uh, uh, you know, if anyone has thoughts, I hope they get help because there's always a way out. I think. Absolutely, and Justin and I have talked about this before too. I mean, just taking the you know being kind is free, and just taking the moment to text someone or call someone or just reach out or, or give them a like on something or you know just those small little gestures you may think that you're a burden but you really aren't and you may think that they are nothing but some people really you know appreciate that kind of stuff and steve it's it's interesting you said robin williams because he was also the same kind of thing for me he was like everyone's dad or grandpa or he was just that funny guy that was part of our formative years and I mean, like, so I lost my father when I was 18. And one of the things that reminded me of my dad was Robin Williams, because we used to watch like Mrs. Doubtfire together. We watched Hook. Yeah, we watched all these different movies. Jack, <laughs> um, not Simple Jack, Jack. And it was it, it was so devastating and heartbreaking to hear uh, about him taking his life. And I mean, everyone that I know was was really sad about it. But I did have to delete some people who use their religious and selfish beliefs to say, well, you know, he's a coward for doing that. And I don't feel bad about it because he, he, he took his own life. And I'm like, one, fuck off. And two, you don't know what was in his, his mind during that time. And so like people like Anthony Bourdain or Chris Cornell really Im- impacted me because Anthony Bourdain has like my dream job. He, he travels around the world. He eats food and he is just an awesome cook. And I think that, you know, was such a, was such an amazing thing. And it's kind of, disheartening because you think about it why did he take his life when he had such a awesome perfect life in in our opinion but that's it's because we're ignorant we just don't understand this or not ignorant but we just don't understand what's going on and mental health is such a bitch so for for neil to try to say this you know he's a coward i think that was really really tone deaf and off the base um but i mean this was also the 80s and suicide wasn't and mental health especially wasn't looked at as strongly as it is now um so this movie was doing something very interesting with it and uh, i don't know if they necessarily knew the implications it would have 30 years later but i think um i think it's just fascinating so and i personally want to let everyone know like all my loved ones and friends and even people i haven't talked to in a while that i i think about you guys all the time and Please feel free to reach out to me anytime. I mean, Justin calls me all the time, sometimes too much. He calls me at like midnight and he's like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, I like drink- to check on people. He's like, I'm just sure drinking, okay. just drinking some code red thinking of you. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's great. I, I agree. It's 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 so fascinating. But it was a it was a tone deaf comment by, by Neil to say. And I don't know, he was probably hurting, too, though. And so I know I say stupid shit when I'm in pain or I don't know what to say. And so maybe he just said the wrong thing. Right, so. like he he feels like he failed one of yeah, his patients, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I know it's it's crazy, and and you know I I agree. I I don't know if I've ever said the word cowardly to to a person or about a person <laughs> before. It's not a word that I ever use. <laughs> um, I don't like it. But you know, you you are right. You are at your weakest. You are at your your breaking point, literally, and and you need. The, the person that is feeling this obviously needs help. And and it's it's so just it's crazy because nothing your whole world's crashing, right? Like, you know, nothing seems like it's going to work. Nothing seems right. Uh, you don't want to burden somebody else. You're not thinking about somebody else. Like when someone says, you know, it's a selfish thing to do, they're immediately making it about them. And it's like, dude, it's not about you. It's about this person. And that's one of the things that really bothers me about it is is you're already 
thinking about yourself when it's, you know, your friend that, or your family member that took their own life. And, and maybe that's some moment to, to have some self-reflection there. <laughs> it's like, why, why have you turned their death about you? You know, it's not about you. And, and something like that really, really fucking bothers me, man. You know, I've, I've, I had a buddy that, that was just at, at his wits end and talking him off of a bridge was one of the, the, the most painful things I've ever had to do in my entire life. And, and it was, I felt so drained afterwards and I was so scared. Like, you know, what, what is he going to do? And so now all of a sudden I feel like I have to check on him every five seconds. I can't let him out of my sight. You know, like what, what are we going to do to make this go away? And then, you know, one time he, he calls me and says, Hey, can you come over? And I was just too tired. And I was like, look, dude, it's already like nine 30. He was in LA. I was in orange County. And I just, I, I had to work in the morning. I was like, I, I can't, I'm sorry. I wish I could. And then I get a call at work that he's in the hospital because he tried to take his life that night before. And I can't tell you how just guilty I felt. And I was so upset about it. And, and I shared this story before on this podcast. So I'm sorry if you heard it already, but like it, it, it wasn't about me. It was about him and the help that he needs. And there was nothing that I could say or do that was going to get through to him in that, in that moment. And it just broke my heart, man. I was, I was so just devastated and uh, it hurts me just thinking about it right now, but uh, he did get the help that he needed. uh, Thank God. But when I just remember being in in this, this hospital and, and going into uh, the ward that he was staying at and just being surrounded by all these people that were, that were so far gone and it needed so much help and he's immediately lumped in with these people. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is my best friend in the whole wide world. He's not he's not like these people. But that's like this denial. Like he is one of these people. He needs help. He is he has tried to hurt himself. And it was it was so sad. And I don't I don't even I just remember being so cold in this hospital. I'm like, how can anyone get better in a place like this? You know, there's people screaming, there's people running, there's people hitting them, their heads on the walls, there's security guards everywhere. The, the furniture looked like it was 30 years old. It just wasn't a comforting and welcoming environment. And I, I just thought he was going to get worse. And, uh, you know, eventually he got better, but I just remember thinking I could never get well in a place like this. And it was, it was horrifying for me. It was like a living nightmare. And um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I will never forget just how how gross I felt uh, and, and helpless I felt being in that hospital. It was nuts. Yeah. And I mean, so I mean, these kids, it, it could probably be the same thing, too, because I mean, people, their parents are telling them that they're crazy and not listening to them. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, man, yeah, listen to your fucking kids. <laughs> They're telling you right now they have a problem and, and you just care about going on your next date and getting some bourbon and whatnot. But yeah, that's that's crazy stuff, man. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. I don't uh, I don't like it. No, not at all. Not one bit. Mm-mm. Anyway, moving on. So this film is interesting <laughs> because kids have allies for a change. And uh, there are two adults, Nancy and Neil, uh, aside from his last little, you know, Philip quit speech. Uh, he genuinely cares, you know, for these kids well-being. Um, and, and this is something that uh, is this something you would like to see more of in this franchise? Or do you prefer the kids to be on their own? I mean, I I personally really enjoyed it. And I think it was great because, like I just said, you know, in all these films, 
all the adults usually follow that same kind of pattern of these kids are crazy. You know, they don't know what's good for them. We're going to put sleeping pills in their bodies um, and, and they don't listen to them. And so I think it was great that you had these quote unquote adults and, and, and a victim of Freddie who could relate involved in their lives. And it's just not them whistling Dixie, you know, they're actually, <laughs> you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> Think, things are actually just moving along and happening and, and, and they're in it with them. And I mean, Neil was pretty easy to convince the dad. Like he just flips the table. He's like, listen, you son of a bitch. I mean, I saw this happen firsthand. It's not just the kids being insane. So I loved it. Me personally, at least. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel it's such a tired trope where the parents don't uh, believe the kids when something bad is happening. Uh, they've used it in so many movies that it was nice for once to see adults, you know, actually take the kids' sides and help them. Now, of course, that was because um, Nancy was there and could help them out with everything, and she could relate to them on a level that, you know, no one else could because she had been through it. But I thought it was a breath of fresh air to finally have everybody kind of come together you know how many movies have uh, have we seen where all we're thinking if only they believed each other this whole movie would be like way easier or way better people wouldn't have to die and it's just it, it was nice to see and not have to deal with that throughout the whole movie whereas is it real is it not do we believe them just let's work together and let's get this done so i, I liked it a lot right because i think it's only it's only three kids that end up not making it, right? It's it's Philip, it's Taryn, and it's oh no, Jennifer, and then Will. So four kids die. Well, Philip dies too. Philip, yeah. Oh, okay. So so four Philip, die, Jennifer, yeah. Taryn, and and Will. Yes. So four of them. Yes. Correct. Uh, almost just over half, right? Because then it's just um, it's Kristen, uh, Kincaid, and Joey. Nancy's an adult. She can drink and she can vote. She's an adult. She doesn't count anymore. But is she? Because I mean, I think it's um, it's unclear how old she is, right? I mean, she's interning. She's an intern. A, so she's in. She's either she's already got her her graduate degree, or she's already got her. Yeah, she's got like her bachelor's, and now she's going on to you know post grad work to do this internship. So, so I yeah. guess what what's She's the timeline? What's the timeline of of this compared to the second film, and then the second film compared to the first film? Because I feel like the second film didn't take; it was only like a, a year or two after the first film. They and said this one is sell the house for like three years. Oh, okay. The so then th- this one says it takes place a year after the second film. So let's say like four or five years. So yeah, so it puts her at about college. twenty twenty two something like that yeah. twenty three. So I mean. Yeah, that's fine. Neil looks way older and looks old enough to be your dad. So their, their whole little love triangle is kind of weird or lo- love thing is kind of weird. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really get the did you guys interpret them as having some sort of like romantic relationship or just sort of a mentorship kind of thing? I felt it was a romantic relationship. Me I felt too. like they were trying to force a meet cute. Like he's like, oh, let me help you pick up your pick up all your belongings, you know. And then they go out for dinner. And so I don't know. I, I felt like they had something going on. I mean, they yeah. never get physical per se. No, but he does tell her dad, like, I care so much about her. And yeah. It's like, <laughs> you just met her. <laughs> you know? She's the love yeah, of my I life. So. <laughs> yeah. Basically. I don't know. I, I always interpreted it as more of a like a teacher student kind of thing in some weird way. I mean, more. I mean, it's an intimate relationship, but it's not like physical i don't know how to describe that i just feel like 
I never was under the impression that they were going to sneak away in like Grey's Anatomy style and have intercourse in a closet or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know what? Um, Something that kind of I was going to ask both of you guys. I mean, I may I may be crazy on this, but um, I felt like there was this a bunch of the parents were either promiscuous or they had alcohol problems or something. Right. So a lot of the parents throughout the films just have an issue. And is that on purpose or are they just trying to make some sort of character arc for or not character? Well, they killed a guy. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they burned a guy. To be, yeah. <laughs> so but, so but, I think that they're all suffering from some sort of way of dealing with but is that the default for them saying that they killed him i mean that's just that's that's us supposed to be like okay well yeah he killed him so that's why he drinks so much and that's why he neglects his kids are we supposed to feel anything for these parents well i I think that what's interesting about her dad if you're referring to nancy's father specifically you know he's a cop in a small town he's surrounded by murder he too has he probably feels like he failed his daughter in some capacity because he wasn't able to protect her um, you know, he's drinking, she's drinking. Uh, I've never killed another person, so I don't know what the fallout would be, but I catch spiders and let them go outside. So, I mean, I'm a nice person, so I can't imagine what I would be dealing with later in life if I knew that my child was was uh, molested and I killed somebody and I got away with it. I think I would have demons, as it were. You know what I mean? So, like, I do think that each one of their parents has some sort of, uh, you know, uh, troubled mindset. I don't think that they're in a, in a happy place. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. It's, uh, and I don't think to my recollection, m- most of the parents were, they still, they were still there for their kids. You know, it's not like they were necessarily bad parents. They just had their own problems to deal with. And that kind of reflected a little bit on their kids, but um, you know, I don't think a lot of them were malicious. Like even, you know, Nancy's dad, she, he, he was there for her. He just, you know, kind of dealt with it in his own way. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And like, like her mom drinks, right? That's her way of, she's an unhappy human being. On delay. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. Kristen's mom. Yeah. Okay. So she's just a single parent that's looking for a good time. Maybe she's, she's dealing with things her own way. She's, she's gone through a divorce. Um, as someone that has gone through one, we all we all we all deal with with grief in our own way, I suppose. But I mean, I know that when when I got divorced, I went on a lot of dates. I met a lot of people. I partied pretty hard, like fucking Wolf of Wall Street style. And like Eddie Murphy told us <laughs> party all the time. Stuff. Yeah. And so we all find ways of dealing with our our pain. Right. And our suffering. And we have this snapshot of her as an angry mom that but. You know, she does take her daughter to a hospital. She does want her to get better. Uh, but her the perception that we get of the mom is is more of how Kristen sees her mom, you know, like because mm-hmm. you never let me go out. You never every time I want to have bring a man home, you know, and that's just a t- angry teenager having a nightmare. You know what I mean? So we, we forget about that sometimes. Yeah. Totally. Makes sense. And, you, know, I, you know, while I, while I think about it, the. um when she, when Kristen wakes up from her first dream and then goes into the bathroom and and turns the handle and then it grabs her and then it slits her wrist, you remember that? Yeah. Okay. Now all of a sudden she's holding the fucking razor blade and she's the one that cut her own wrist. Right. <laughs> this, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> she know. did it to herself. 
So then that that's why I think that Rod hung himself in some weird way because it doesn't make sense. Like I will not ever understand the the deaths in these movies and how it relates to the <laughs> sleeping world and the awake world. It doesn't it, the dream world versus reality. If she's all of a sudden she's holding a razor, she cut her own fucking wrist. So it's yeah, it's it bothers me. Fuck, and 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 uh, side note, uh, anytime I see a fucking faucet with those little white handles, I. Don't want to use them, man. <laughs> I've seen those before, and I'm like, oh fuck, man. These are <laughs> these are dream warrior handles. I don't like these handles. And I and I hate it. Oh, boy. Okay. I don't like that. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Fucking got a razor in your hand. Shenanigans. This movie's fake. Just throwing that out there. So welcome to primetime, bitch. We've 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 already talked about uh how Freddie just goes full on ham and he starts the one liners. Uh, S- Steve, as a young lad, as a whippa, you were able to enjoy this movie because you thought it was funny. Right. So what are some of your favorite one liners that came from Freddie? Oh, my God. There's so many. Um, <laughs> if we're talking about this one, I mean, welcome to primetime, bitch is my favorite for sure. Uh, but the I whole also... franchise, though, you, you have it's, it's everything that has ever been spoken. Any spoken dialogue you can use. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact line, but the, the one where uh, he's playing video games, I think it's in five. That's six. Now you're six? playing with power. Yeah. yeah. Now you're playing with power. I, I thought that was hilarious, but I was also a big gamer. So that kind of registered with me. Uh, I, I love in four when, unfortunately, I, I love Kincaid. So it made me sad that he died. But I love when Kincaid tells him, see you in hell. And Freddy Krueger replies, uh, tell him Freddy sent you. <laughs> you know, st- stuff like that. Uh, I really like, and I really like in this one, uh, where he just repeats the mom's uh, boyfriend's line, where he says, "I said, where's the fucking bourbon?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just I, I just like his clever replies and his clever retorts. So those are the ones. But I think "Welcome the Primetime Bitch" is my ultimate favorite of all the movies that he was in. That's a good one. That's a really good one. He uh, he improvised that one apparently. Oh really? So, yeah. Apparently, uh, Robert England improvised. He just adds bitch to everything. So yeah, that's good. Right. <laughs> Along those along those lines too, um, when you know the mom, the Andale mom, she was funny. She's like, "You ruin everything. Every time I bring a man home, you spoil it." You know what your shrink says? You're just trying to get a little attention. <laughs> it's like, whoa! <laughs> but I think that's that's uh, when Freddie takes her over. I think you know shouldn't say that ha- hateful stuff. And then uh, Kincaid, he's like, "Let's go kick the motherfucker's ass all over Dreamland." <laughs> I think that was really cool. Uh, and then when I specifically only wrote quotes from this movie, I guess I misunderstood the question. I apologize. But, um, when he stabs Kristen with the needles, he's like, Ooh, what a rush. And his like face is like, Oh, <laughs> it's really weird. I don't like it, but it's really weird. Um, and then finally when little will gets, gets killed and he starts chasing Freddie for some reason. And then he's like, sorry, kid, I don't believe in fairy tales. <laughs> right. I thought it was funny. Cause I thought Will's power was the stupidest. And I'm just like, all right, man, just go go to your wheelchair, get the get the, the slicey dicey wheelchair, dude. And that chair was crazy, but I, know, I like it, was it scary. when. So one of my favorite lines from this specifically is when he's like, "But when you wake up, it's back in the saddle again." I was like, "Oh, that's mean." <laughs> I didn't like that. I was like, oh, uh-huh. that sucks." Yeah. All right. So, so do you think that uh, that Hammy Freddy does that help or hurt the franchise? Were you glad that it kept escalating and him getting? funnier and funnier as the movies went on or would you prefer uh it back to the first one where he's he's much more scary and ominous i I personally like the mix of the two and that's why i think this one 
kind of has the perfect mix of him still being a little scary, but also being funny. Um, uh, the, I think if he had stayed scary throughout the series, he wouldn't be as memorable today. I think that's what separated him from other slashers at the time, you know, especially that the other ones didn't speak. So that, that didn't help. Um, it's, and I felt the same way about kind of Chucky, you know, had the same thing where I don't think that movie would have been as big of a legacy film series as it would have been had he not been so kind of vulgar and, uh, and funny. However, <laughs> I will say that as the series goes on and I'll reflect that later in the episode, when I rank them, I think the sillier, uh, Freddy movies are not as good because they went way too far in on the comedy route and not enough in the horror route. So uh, I think you needed a mix of the two, which this film did, but I think uh, that's why they should have kept it. This is as funny as it should have been. Right. And the reboot didn't have any of that. No, like he was, no. he was a scary Freddy. Yeah. What did you guys feel about the reboot? Just really quick. I'm really curious. I, I love asking this question. Did you like the reboot or. Uh, I, I, and, I think it's okay. I don't have a problem. I don't hate it like a lot of people do. I would never say that it sucks. I, I we talked about this before, where I said I, I really wish that they would have stuck with him being innocent and that he didn't uh, molest these kids or hurt them. I think that would have been a fucking total mind fuck, and everyone would have been like, "Whoa, that's crazy!" And then maybe would have even questioned, uh, you know, the original take. Like, was he innocent? I think that's a, I think it's a really good question to ask. You know, there's we were talking about uh, frontier justice. Uh, and the hateful eight episode of the podcast, and that's what these people did. They had they had frontier justice, and uh, while it was thirst quenching, uh, it could very well have been wrong. And that was a really good question to ask. Unf- uh, yeah, unfortunately, they did go, you know, like they did say that he he was guilty. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a ruse. But I did really like the idea of the kids lying and the parents taking justice in their own hands and being wrong. I thought that would have been a really cool plot plot point, but. Uh, as a whole, I think the movie's fine. I I would rank it over some of the um, original six films, but um, I don't I don't I don't hate it by any stretch of the imagination. I agree with you. I think the remake was fun. I actually I like I liked it probably more than you did. Um, I've seen it a few times. I actually saw it in theaters and then just uh, multiple times afterwards. But yeah, I enjoy the, I enjoy the remake, and I was kind of hoping that they could go on from there and um i was going to touch base on that um in our final question but uh yeah i i i enjoyed it i didn't really like jackie earl haley as freddie but i can't really think of another person off the top of my head who would be better so he did he did an adequate job i'd say bean what's rowan atkinson (laughs) (laughs) these these knife gloves uh, whistler's mother he's like so i agree with steve though because it's i like my freddy a healthy dose of both i want him to be really scary and make the jokes but make one-liners and then just be terrifying i don't need him to like four it starts getting really campy then five is just like oh get the fuck out of here like when he you know um i forgot the guy's name uh who dies immediately in the fifth one dan dan yeah he's driving the car and for motorcycle his, right rips off his arm well he's first in the truck and he rips off his arm and he makes it a seatbelt. i'm like what is the point of all of this and so it just gets kind of ridiculous um so i think that stuff is is a little crazy because it doesn't scare me it takes me away from it and the first one terrifies me and actually one of the most terrifying things of the first one was when 
the, the beginning when he's like, Tina, you know, and he's walking down the, the um, alleyway and his arms are stretched out um, and they're really, really long. You know, they're running against the sides. But then he just starts running after her. And I don't like that image of him running after her in a really weird way because it, it scares me because my villains are supposed to slow walk like Jason. They're not supposed to run like that. And so I think that's what always scared the shit out of me. But it's interesting you say that because in the second one, they didn't want to pay Robert England. Right. And then they had this other guy that was just all stiff Frankenstein style. And they're like, well, this shit ain't working. You know, they, he didn't have any of the charisma that uh, England had. And so they had to they had to ditch that guy and bring uh, Robert back. Hmm. That's how I remember the story being told. Yeah, yeah. because he, he brought that 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 X factor <laughs> to it. Right. He had. He had this charisma about him, a way about his movements. He wasn't just some stiff killer guy. He was a creeper. Yeah. Okay. Well, makes sense. So I'm a fan of trilogies. Uh, Do you think A Nightmare on Elm Street could have ended with three films? Or are you glad that they kept going? I mean, I realize that if you're a fanboy and you're going to want more and more and more and more. I mean, he ended up being like fucking Freddy cereal and TV shows and all kinds of nonsense. (laughs) But I mean... uh, are you ultimately glad that they kept going? You know, the dream master was fun, uh, but the dream child, as Zach said, is awful. Freddy's dead is pretty bad. Uh, but I'm just curious about you two. Steven, go. Uh, I'm personally happy they kept going because this is what kept um, Freddy's legacy alive in like the horror genre. And, you know, horror, they, they just love to keep going and going with uh, sequels. I mean, other than like porn, which has, a million sequels, horrors like second, where they just like to pump them out until you know either the rights run out or pump, pump uh, them out, <laughs> uh, or you know that uh, they just run out of ideas. And I, I don't know if it had been just a trilogy, if it necessarily would have the impact it does today. You know, it's uh, a lot of people remember fondly moments of the later films, even though they don't remember the full film because the full films are kind of bad. Uh, they do remember snippets, and that's what sticks in people's minds. So I think it helped the legacy of this series. So personally, in this case, uh, and in most horror films, I'm happy that they went, especially slashers. You know, slashers, I think, can go on for a long time. So another cool thing about Dream Warriors is the film expands on the lore of Freddy, the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Uh, we also get to meet his ma, a.k.a. sister Mary Helena, uh, does Freddy need more backstory? I only ask because in this case, it's almost like he didn't have a chance to be a normal person. The sins of the father, an ongoing theme for a nightmare on Elm street. We talked about the parents, right? These children are suffering because you know, the parents killed Freddy. So sure enough, he murders their kids for revenge. Sounds, sounds simple enough, right? The, the math is sound as it were. Um, he really showed them, but now we get this new piece of the puzzle. And because his father or fathers, for that matter, were, were terrible, rapey people, he is destined to be one, too. Seems like an easy excuse to me, but I'm curious about your thoughts on this revelation and, uh, you know, to this origin story. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I we talked about it a little bit ago with the new Nightmare on Elm Street or the remake, I should say because they kind of played with that idea of maybe Fred didn't kill those kids. Maybe they were lying. It's almost like humanizing him. And it's kind of like how they treated Jason. You know, he was a teased and murdered, basically murdered boy at a camp. And we're supposed to have this sense of sympathy towards them uh, because then they're just not an unstoppable killing machine. And I think Michael Myers, what's so terrifying about him is even Dr. Loomis says, you know, he's like, I tried to help him for 15 years. And then I realized for five years, like he's he's just pure evil. And that's terrifying in a certain sense. But I think 
when you add some sort of human element to these people, it does also it creates some tension. Like these these children are atoning for their parents' sins of of frontier justice and murdering this guy. So I don't know. I I think I think it's it's interesting. It can get a little convoluted because then you keep digging and digging and digging, and you're like, Jesus Christ, well, how else are you going to expand this this world? But I don't know. Some people like that. What about you, Steve? Do you do you like that his his dad was was a, an insane rapey man, and that's that's pretty much why it it sealed his fate. Do you agree with that? Uh, I, you know, I, I thought in this one it was like just enough to give us a little bit more insight on uh, Freddy Krueger, and I liked it for that. I don't like where they'd eventually ended up with uh, Dream Master and Dream Child. Oh my god, Dream Child is just such a fucking mess. <laughs> it's so um, bad. Yeah. Um, but it, it did kind of explain why, you know, of all the killers, he kind of, like, escaped hell and got to exact his revenge. It's because he was born under such, you know, interesting circumstances where it was all the maniacs that, you know, raped his, you know, nun mother. So I, I thought that was an interesting kind of uh, good versus evil story that I was happy to see explored, but they didn't, I don't think they did it properly, but I thought it was cool, you know, in, in this movie. It's just, I don't think we should have gone full backstory. I think they should have just kept little snippets for every film just to give us something, you know, a little crumb of who Freddy Krueger used to be. I think it was just too much later. Yeah. I think it just, the only reason why it bothers me is because I feel like, I don't know, I was born this way, right? Like, it's it's like, because of who his father was, he's just going to be this killer man. And I, I didn't like that. I feel like that just made it convenient. <laughs> yeah, but on the other end, his mother was the opposite, right? So he could have just as easily turned out to be a really good guy. That's true. And that's why that's why I found interesting was kind of this battle between good and evil. And I thought that's where they were going to go with it, where it would be, you know, maybe Freddie had a battle like an inner battle and he's not pure evil. I mean, he eventually became pure evil because obviously he's killing children and stuff like that. But, you know, I thought they could have had a really interesting uh, story there, but they didn't go there at all. It was just the pure evil part. What about the abandonment? Right. I mean, she didn't raise him. Right. She goes off to be a nun. Right. And he's got to figure shit out on his own. Mm. Yeah, it's it's it, it was a very convenient answer. There there is that. Um, you know, and I I wasn't a big fan of like her coming back from the grave to talk about this. It didn't really make yeah. all that much sense, you know. That was a whole we're talking about the suspension of disbelief. You know, the, the dream rules, stuff was Steven, one thing. Yeah. This movie doesn't have any rules. <laughs> yeah, it's um yeah, th- that's one thing about this movie that was kind of very weird, you know, um, to her just coming back from the dead to do this. So. so what is your ranking order for all feature films starring Robert England as Freddy Krueger? Now, this includes A Nightmare on Elm Street's parts one through five, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, and Freddy vs. Jason. Please note that this does not include any strange cameos, TV appearances, MTV or otherwise, uh, or made for TV films. Thank you, drive through. Steven, what's your list? All right. So it, it's a tough one because 
favorite versus which ones are the best are two different lists for me. So I kind of mixed the two as I made my list. So I would say number one is the original. Uh, I think it's just the most well-made film and um, it's the one that I've probably seen the most and that I remember the most. And I think it's probably the best film in the series. Number two, Dream Warriors. Just love it to death. I think it's a fun movie and it mixes the perfect mix of Scary Freddy and Funny Freddy. Number three, this might surprise some people, Freddy versus Jason. Yes. <laughs> I just have so much fun watching this movie. Like It's just a really fun movie. I watch it almost every October. It's just, uh, you know, they had a blast with it and I wish there were more. So kind of bummed out they stopped that. Um, after that, I'd go Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which similar to what you said, Justin, uh, I have a new appreciation for because of the documentary and the discourse that's had in recent years as to what some of the things in the film mean and everything. So it's grown in my eyes in the last few years. Then I'd go Dream Master, Dream Child, New Nightmare, uh, and Freddy's Dead. I think that covers them all. So, yeah. Wow. Our, our list is almost identical. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And I, when I say rank them, I, I rank them uh, on, on enjoyment. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I think that we're past the merits of what makes these movies amazing. Like, I think <laughs> right. that they, they are what they are, and you either <laughs> enjoy it or you don't. What about you, Zach? So, mine was similar to Steve's. So, I go the original as number one. Uh, Dream Warriors is number two. And uh, Freddy versus Jason definitely is number three. And it's interesting because I think Freddy versus Jason would have been my number two had I had not rewatched uh, number three, just because I I love the idea of this. And I mean, anybody who's listened to the show knows that I have some issues with remakes. But when it comes to horror films, I like remakes. So, yeah. Uh, so number three for me was is Freddy versus Jason. And uh, again, yeah, I love it. And we were just talking about we love the kills. We love just the humor with it. The story's fun. And it was it was this culmination of something we'd wanted to see, you know, since Jason goes to hell for 20 years, I guess. Right. Um, so we finally get to see it. And it's so cool. And they just delivered. It, it was such a fun movie. But uh, yeah, so that's definitely one, two, three. And then uh, number four is got to be my second one. So Dream Master number two um is after that uh, i don't think i have as much of an appreciation as much as you guys do i still get kind of like eh. i don't I, I haven't seen the documentary so maybe i need to um i actually really liked a new nightmare i think i loved the idea of how meta it was and just how different it was i thought that that was so fascinating um it was always on stars when i was a kid too and then uh freddy's dead and then uh the fifth one is is the worst the dream child i i i don't like i don't like the little baby thing i don't like the whole maniacs i don't i don't like anything about it 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 feels like a straight to video movie that they should have done but um i i think with remakes it's it's interesting because i think i was talking about this too um i think with everyone knows who listens to this show i don't really talk I, i'm not really a huge fan of remakes but i think with dream warriors the reason I liked it so much this time around is because I, I I see the potential in a in a remake of it, and it would be fun if they remade it and gave the kids more screen time and and showed them using their powers more often. Like Kincaid was great, but he like bent a chair and that was about it. And then he grabs like a pipe and he hits Freddy. And I wanted to see more of their powers. You know what I mean? So that is my ranking. Budgets, man. Budgets. I know. I know. Uh, those are again. These are all pretty close. Uh, so I actually put three as my favorite. I love this movie. I think it's fucking awesome. 
And uh, so I put the first one. As, so I went three, then one, uh, then Freddy versus Jason. I think that movie's so fucking awesome. It's so <laughs> badass. And I remember when I saw it in the theater, I was just smiling the entire time, especially when they go all like fucking WWE at the end. And they're just <laughs> yeah. beating the shit out of each other. That's so great. Oh, my gosh. Love that he's movie. Like, and I love that it was made. Like dark I think meat. That's, <laughs> fucking yeah, that's, that's dicey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can say that. No. And um, then I would say two. Uh, then uh, uh, two again, like I had watched that documentary just sort of just changed my perspective on it. And, and it's fun. And, and I, I watched it a lot when I was a kid, it must've been on TV all the time or something because uh, I watched it pretty often. And I liked, I liked how, uh, like when there's the party at the end and he's just fucking killing all these kids at this the, the the rich girl's house, you know, this is so crazy. Breaks through the glass and he disappears. Another rule breaking episode or rule breaking moment where he's just coming in and out of reality. And it's, it's just the way the world works, I suppose. Um, and then uh, I would say four uh, dream master, then new nightmare, then, then dream child, then Freddy's dead. Mm. So I go three, one, Freddy's versus Jason, two, four, five, six. Okay. That's my order. Right on. So uh, towards the end there, it kind of parallels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think you both put uh, one over three. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just too hard to beat the classic. It's just like I've seen it probably the most also other than Freddy versus Jason. And it's it's so well done. I mean, it's scenes that I'll never forget in that movie. Just the whole mm-hmm. the, the Tina thing with her dragging through the the ceiling and dropping on his blades. It's, it's terrifying. It's fucking awesome. And I would probably, if, if we got to throw the reboot in there, I would put it after four. So I would go three, one Freddy versus Jason two, four, then, um, the reboot. Yeah. Yeah, I'd put it, I'd put it there as well, actually, right after dream master. And so speaking of new nightmare though, I love the idea that it had, but I didn't like the execution of it. I, I thought Freddy looked cool. Like he, he looked different than he did in all the other films. Mm-hmm. And this is probably one of my most controversial like horror takes. And I get shit for it all the time from the listeners <laughs> of my podcast. But I think I don't think Robert England is a good actor at all. Uh, <laughs> other than Freddy. And I even find in New Nightmare, Robert England doesn't play a good Robert England. You know, wow. like it's just I I don't know if you, you've watched a lot of movies he's been in other than the Nightmare series, but I find he's a terrible actor. Yeah, I've seen V. I've seen... Is he in Wishmaster? He might be in Wishmaster. Yeah, he is. And, yes. yeah. and I've seen the uh, Urban Legend movie. Yeah. yeah those, those are three movies off the top of my head <laughs> that are not Freddy that I could say that I've seen. Yeah, I, of his. I just don't think he's great. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a, great. Great interview, great Freddy. Not good in anything else, dude. He's an awesome uh, interviewee. Like, oh, he, um, he remembers every name of every person he's ever worked with. It's it's really cool. I like his story. He's a good storyteller. Yeah, he's great story. I I love hearing his interviews and his place in cinema history is really interesting when you hear him speak about it. Like uh, the whole thing with Mark Hamill, like it was his roommate and apparently he pushed him to go audition for Luke Skywalker. And uh, <laughs> it's like all this, <laughs> all this like crazy stories. And he speaks so well of classic cinema. And yeah, I love to hear him speak. He's, he's a great one. Totally. Um, so I think that's all that I have. Do you guys have any final thoughts on Dream Warriors? And what letter grade would you give it? Steven, go. 
uh, I I love this movie. You know, it's a, it's a fun movie. It's uh, just one that I enjoy watching. I mean, I just reviewed it like two, three months ago on my podcast, and I was just happy to watch it again and, you know, talk about it again because it is such a fun movie to explore and to watch and to see all the different kills that they have and the practical effects they do in this film. You know, this is getting to the point where practical effects are going to start coming down. And a lot of the stuff now, I think they would use CGI for those same exact uh, effects that they did in this film. So it's kind of the end of an era. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I love the series, although I, now I have to watch the rest of them because that's just the way my mind works. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I, yeah, it's a total completionist as well. So I'm going to do an October review of the whole film, uh, the whole series and look forward to it. But great film. And I would give it an A minus. Uh, very enjoyable film. Uh, you know, can watch it a lot. So it's a good one. Sweet. What about you, Zach? So, yeah, I mean, same kind of thing. Absolutely loved it. Uh, it's interesting, though, because I don't think it's like a good film. I, I really, really enjoyed it, but it's different. So, I mean, I give it a B and I really think that uh, the first nightmare is like an A minus or an A. Uh, absolutely just love it. But uh, yeah. And then like with Freddy versus Jason too, love the film. It's not a good movie, but yeah. So so I give Dream Warriors a, uh, a B and um, I'm glad we, we revisited it because it's just it's a it's a fun film to watch. I would love to see it remade someday. And I want to see more of the powers and more of the flips and more of the all that kind of stuff. What about you, Justin? What is yours? Uh, yeah, so I give this movie an A, man. I, I fucking love this movie. I can watch it any day of the week. I can even if I jump into this one first, I'll still have to rewatch like one and two. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I can do it. It is. It is. I can break an OCD pattern by watching this one uh, first. I'm OK with that. But I just think it's so fun. It's it's ridiculous as as many problems as I have with this movie. I think that that's a good thing because I love it so much. I'm able to pick it apart and be like, oh, that's ridiculous. That shouldn't happen. Blah blah blah. This movie's fake, damn it. <laughs> and um, uh, I'm okay with that. And there's just something about I, I, I do think that Nightmare on Elm Street was probably my first real uh, you know dive into horror movies. And uh, and it's great. I, I love everything about the franchise. I love how silly it is. I love how scary it is. I love how even when I watch it today, I want to watch a comedy afterwards just so I can kind of clear my head before I go to sleep because I don't want to dream about this crazy man. Uh, and I, I think that that's a pretty powerful thing. Even after all these years of watching it, I'm still like, eh, I don't know about that. Never <laughs> comedy. Um, so uh, it it's it still reigns supreme for me. Definitely enjoy three so goddamn much. I think it's so much fun. Uh, I think just the visual effects alone uh, just cranked it up a notch to where uh, it is just a superior movie. Not that it relies heavily on visual effects, but they 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 did it and they executed it. You know, we talk about execution, um, and and this movie executed everything that they needed to, and that's why it gets an A for me. Even the stop motion, as silly as it is, <laughs> I remember in the '80s thinking, "Well, that's pretty cool." Yeah, it still it still was fun to watch. Like for for that puppetry thing, yeah, it's I was like, "Oh, that's neat." And then he he grows bigger, and you're like, "Oh, whoa, <laughs> technology!" Yeah, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> Who let you in here? No. <laughs> door is supposed to be locked <laughs> i mean they don't lock doors in in, uh, in that ward apparently because philip can walk wherever he wants so yeah <laughs> i mean that is weird though they should have i don't know strapped him down yeah you're a sleepwalker that's that put a bell sense. on him like i was saying yeah <laughs> i was like oh it's just phil. and you know what if this was the movie and they had a bell on they'd be like it's just philip walking around <laughs> yeah. no big deal nbd let's get back to you know 
playing around on the not internet. While we joke about Philip, we did have a discussion about his perceived death being ruled a suicide, which I'd like to take a moment to recognize the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available to you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If you are in need of someone to talk to, please call them at 1-800-273-8255. They are there to help, but please know that you are loved and people care about you. The chips are down right now, and your world is probably crumbling all around you, but you don't have to be alone. Please call them at 1-800-273-8255 and get the support you need for the fight for your life. We can't stress this enough. Just pick up the phone. You won't be judged. Not by them and certainly not by us. You got this. Steven, I hate to end it on a sad note, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. I always have a blast talking to you guys and talking horror and it's a, it was a great time. Yeah. Steve, where can we find you on um, the internets and uh, and your podcast? Uh, so you can find me personally on most social media platforms at Flipping the Nerd, or you can find my podcast. It's called the Horror Squad Podcast, where we talk about horror films every week. I also have another podcast called the Let's XP Geek and Gaming Podcast, because uh, contrary to popular belief, I do like other stuff outside of horror, too. And that's <laughs> my way to kind of get it out there that I do watch other stuff, too. Uh, so that's you know what's going on there and we have a ton going on for my podcast uh we're hosting our very first event on october 16th in salem uh we're having a autograph signing with damien maffey who was known as uh he was in strangers pray at night and haunt and uh wrong turn and a bunch of other movies that's at silver moon comics uh that same day you could also buy a horror squad podcast donut box from speakeasy donuts they're doing <laughs> horror themed donuts uh, for the event, we also have a Damien Maffei burger from the Crypt over in Salem as well. And finally, capping off that uh, that night, we're having a screening of the Haunt movie ho- and a Q&A with um, Damien Maffei, which our podcast is hosting. So all sorts of stuff going on uh, in, in October, and we're very excited. That's so awesome. The donuts. That's so cool. I like that a lot. I love me some donuts. Yeah, speakeasy donuts uh, in Salem do uh, they they do occasionally like different themed donut boxes and they're really, really cool. Uh, uh, check them out on social media. They have all sorts of stuff. It's it's really cool. That's so neat. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. I uh, love the show. I'm a fan. I got some merch. I got that T-shirt. I like it's. I like wearing it. It's nice and soft. So um, right on, man. I got a green one. What color did you get? I got red. I like the red. It really pops. Yeah, I'd really appreciate it. We actually just dropped a new design for October, uh, which you can find on Public, the Horror Squad podcast. Uh, we, did, we did kind of a play on uh, the original Halloween poster. So. Yeah, it's fun. I like it. So. <laughs> no, I no, appreciate it. Yeah, man. Anytime. Just not The Exorcist because that movie sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Please remember to follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at DBCrazyPod. Justin's Twitter is EdgyArmo and mine is ZachDale60. Dale's my middle name. You can share your thoughts with us there and uh, and we will discuss them on our show. You can have interactions with us. We'll have a nice fun GIF or GIF, whatever whatever you prefer. We don't uh, discriminate. <laughs> and you can, um, yeah, suggest things for us. It's really great. Just make sure that they are streaming and available for people to watch uh, because then it makes it a whole lot easier. And then we don't have to buy it. But, um, I know, yeah. then we get yelled at. But you only do streaming yeah. movies. And then we're like, well, actually... 
But um, also, if you have a chance, it really, really helps. Please be sure to open up Apple Podcasts. Um, if you like the show, go ahead and give us a five-star rating at the bottom. Leave a comment. Say maybe Zach talks too much or maybe he smells really bad. I don't know how that works. But, yeah, you could write something like that, and that would be great. That really, really helps us immensely. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast. Uh, you got David, Randy, and Justin. Just a bunch of wild and crazy guys talking about nerdy, nerdy stuff, and it's great. I'm here for it. I got the T-shirt, and I got – I don't have a T-shirt. But I have, uh, you know, in my, in my heart of hearts, I would wear a T-shirt. But with this, I will leave with this. Just please remember, don't be crazy. So thank you for listening. Thank you so much.